So glad to have you here. You braved the rain. It's already starting. Can you believe that? Crazy. We're so glad you're here. So I have three daughters. They're all young. And inevitably, most men, they'll always ask me, don't you want that boy? And of course, you know, I'd love to have a boy and I'd love to have that experience. But I've also, on the other hand, seen a bunch of little boys at playgrounds and at the mall, and they scare me to death, right? How many of you have boys? You know what I'm talking about. They're crazy. You know, don't clap. They're crazy. They're crazy. They're wild. And, uh, you know, they get into things. They break stuff. They break each other and all that. And uh, I had an older brother, and I just was remembering back, you know, some of the dumb things I did when I was younger. And it took me to this place, and it relates to today, I promise. But when I was about eight years old, uh, I was on the playground at this camp. And, you know, I learned now that I'm an adult, I've learned that when you put kids on a playground, it's basically nap time for the adults, you know, because they're fenced in like dogs and hopefully they don't hurt themselves and each other. And, you know, so the adults are like sleeping on the benches and me and my friend, we're just bored. And it's the worst when boys are bored. Am I right? Like, you got to keep them busy, and their attention span is like three seconds. But anyways, uh, we're up there on the top of the playground, and we just wanted to do something memorable. We want to do something epic. You know, we want to be remembered on this playground. And so we're up there, and we're just thinking. We, we spot these bars at the top of the stairs, and to us, it looks like they're wide enough for one of our heads to go through it. Yeah. Right, so we're excited about that, and so we start to talk through it, and we start to measure our faces, and we start to see, you know, perfect measurements, you know, oh yeah, you'll fit, you'll fit, and we start to think, like, we just want to get one of our heads through that, we'll be remembered forever, we'll be legends, we'll be legends, and so uh, then it came down to the negotiation, which one of us is actually going to stick our heads through that, and of course, I won, because God is with me, but I was talking... (laughs) through this, uh, with this, this, my friend, and, and I talk him into him, like, your face is, you know, skinnier, you know, your, my face is prettier, we can't mess it up, and all that stuff, and it turns out that we finally get him to do it, and so we start, we try to, he starts trying to get through there, and different angles, and stuff, and I mean, can you imagine watching this, you know, it's just ridiculous, he can't get it through, and so it, it's time, of course, you know, when you're putting furniture together, guys, it's time for force, you know, at some point, you just got to ram it in there, you know. And so I, I get behind this kid. I'm like, this isn't happening unless I shove you through it. And he's like, you're right. So we do it. And, uh, and so I just get behind him, and I just start shoving. I look like a bully, you know. I'm shoving his face through this thing, and finally his ears are hurting and all this stuff. And it's like, boom, he gets through it. It was amazing. Can we clap for that? A huge accomplishment. Amazing. So he gets through that, and it, I'm, I kid you not, he looks like he's in one of those guillotines, you know, his head's out and his hands are hanging over, and he's sitting there, and we thought it was the coolest moment of the year. It was amazing. We're like eight years old, you know, we're trying to bring all the girls over, like, hey, look what we did, you know, impress them and all this stuff, and adults, nowhere to be found, sleeping somewhere. And so like three minutes in, you know, the shine for, not for me, but for the kid, wears off. And he starts to realize, oh, wait, I'm claustrophobic. And he starts to get a little uncomfortable. And he starts to say, all right, it's time to get out. And, of course, you know how it's easier to, like, shove things into something than it is to shove your head out of some bars? (laughs) So we start pulling him out, and it's not happening. It's not happening. His ears are getting caught, and we're trying and trying. And uh, 
he's just starting to freak out and he starts to panic. And you can just feel his face is getting red, you know, his ears are hurting, they're catching on the bars, it was crazy. Trying to pull him out and he starts to get really loud. Like 10 minutes goes by and he is screaming, his face is getting red, he's drooling, he's foaming at the mouth. No, I'm just kidding, not that bad. No, he's he's just going nuts and he's panicking and he's yelling. And that's about the time, of course, when the adults show up. They wake up from their nap, they coming over and now there's like 50 people crowded around this kid that looks like he's going to die in the monkey bars or whatever they're called. And he's just sitting there hanging. And of course, I start to have my own panic moment. Like, I'm going to get in trouble, right? And so, forget him. Like, I don't want to get a referral or talk to my mom. And so I just kind of slowly, like, in a godly fashion, just start to sneak away, like, praying for you, praying for you. You know, I'm just going to... I totally walk away to the end of the back, and I'm just like, good luck, buddy. And he's just there. Fifteen minutes go by. Can you just imagine this eight-year-old just hanging? It was hilarious. It was awesome. It was epic. He's just hanging there. And so the adults, they finally figure out. They're they're thinking they're going to get a lawsuit or something. Here's what they discover to get him out. They bring out a big jar of mayonnaise. I mean, what are these adults doing? with? Who trained them, right? They bring out mayonnaise, and they just start gobbing it all over his face, in his ears, all over his head. He's like shot. I mean, he looks like a Q-tip, you know, and he's sitting there. And they finally, they're pulling him, they're pulling him, and like, pop, like a cork. He's out. Finally. Amazing, right? And so he's been in therapy for 20 years. But anyways, <laughs> he didn't, never talked to me again, you know, never seen him since then. But I was just picturing that moment when he's sitting there. And he's in that place, and he's in the bars, you know, it sounded like a good idea, and then he found himself in this place where he was just stuck, right? He got himself into a situation that he didn't have the answers of how to get out of it. And I was thinking about you and I this week, and it could be our faith, it could be our marriage, it could be a relationship, it could be your job, it could be your unemployment scenario, or whatever you find yourself in, every single person in this room has been in a place where you feel like you're stuck. You feel like you're stagnant. You feel like you can't move forward. You don't have the answers of how to be more successful. How are we going to fix this family situation? How are we going to overcome this obstacle? Maybe it's a monetary problem, a money situation that you don't have the answers to. And inevitably, the longer situations go, the more we seem to feel stuck. And the panic starts to rise. And we start to to wonder, is this just how it's going to be? Am I ever going to find myself out of this situation? Am I I ever going to find forgiveness for that person who hurt me there? And the longer we go and the longer we feel stuck, the more it just becomes a part of who we are. And the question really isn't, do we want to get out of being stuck? Do we want to move forward from the situations that hold us back and the, the things that are the hardest in our lives? It's not, do we want to? question for you and I when we feel stuck and when we feel like we're being held back is how do we move forward? How do we overcome the obstacles? How do we get out of the places in life where we feel stressed, where we feel overwhelmed and we just don't seem to have the answers? How do we go on from there? Which leads us right into John chapter 5 and our main character today finds himself in a scenario Much the same as we're talking about today. If you want to follow along on the app, you can open that up. We'll have the scriptures up on the screen. And the first thing we see is the setting, okay? Before we get introduced to the main character, we have this scene. And in John chapter 5, Jesus is one year in 
to his ministry. And the Gospel of John in the New Testament is walking through the three years of Jesus' ministry on the earth. And so here's the setting. In John 5, verse 1 and 2, it says, Sometime later Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. Everyone say Bethesda. Bethesda, when you see the word Beth on the front of a name, it actually means house. That's the, the root word is house. And this place was created and it was called House of Grace or it was called House of Mercy. So they built this place. I'll show you a picture. It's a rendering of what it possibly looked like. It was built to be a place where people could come to find Grace And how many of us love to come here to this place just to find a little bit of grace, a little bit of mercy, a little bit of relief from the, the challenges and the oppression of the life that, that we live. And so the Jewish people built up this place and they described it like this, Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. The word colonnade is much like a porch. So if you can envision a pool in the center and around it was five porches that were covered for shade purposes. Now this is a drawing that uh, someone came up with. They believe this is what it could have looked like. And it's a pretty big place where a lot of people would come and they would sit under the porches for shade in hopes that in that place they would find just a little bit of grace. Now I had the opportunity uh, with Harborside to go to Israel and we visited this place and the remains of it. And it's just amazing to, to walk in there and to think about Jesus coming into this place, which we'll find in a minute, and what he did for one particular Man, and so at this place, here's what we find. It's described as a place for a certain group of people. And here's what verse 3 says. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. So essentially, that culture is a lot like our culture. We find a place to put people who are like each other, right? Same struggles, same challenges, same situations. And a lot of times the parents who had uh, children who had grown to a certain age and they couldn't take care of them any longer uh, because of their physical or their mental ailments or disabilities. And they would have to place them there and they would put them in the place of grace hoping that something good would happen to them. So a lot of these people may have been abandoned. A lot of them may have been just dropped off there in hopes that something good would happen. And many felt forgotten. Many felt displaced. And they don't have a place in the society. And so the culture had built a place where they placed these people where they're just kind of on their own together. And it's a lot like us in our struggles, though. And I was thinking about when we go through challenges and times, we don't often like to be put around people that are ahead of us. We kind of congregate with people that are like us, right, that can relate to us. And we don't oftentimes put ourselves around people that make us better. We like to be around people that make us feel better. But the problem with that is that people that make us always feel better don't always move us forward. You see, and we get comfortable. Just people that will accept, just accept me for who I am. Don't challenge me to be better. I've got enough stress and enough pressure on my life. Parents, you know this with your kids. You're trying to continue to lift them up and to challenge them and to raise them to be ready for this world. And it's much in the same. But God wants us to keep growing, not to just get comfortable, right? But you see, so often we just gravitate to people who are like us, not people who can convict us, right? You see, God doesn't want to leave us stagnant because the longer we put ourselves around people that just accept where we are and who we are and let us feel better about who we are and what we are in, the less we will move forward and the more we find ourselves stuck in a mindset 
or in a situation where we can't move forward. And so then that's the setting, and now we're introduced to the main character in verse 5. And it says, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. You notice we don't learn his name. It's a man, but we don't learn his name. We learn his struggle. You see that? He's labeled by his struggle. He's labeled by his problem. He's labeled by the circumstance of his life. We don't even know his name. We just know what he's going through. And it's much the same with us. We get labeled as divorced. We get labeled as depressed or discouraged or unemployed or not able to be pregnant or not able to do this. And we're labeled by fear, insecurity and all those things. And we almost become a part of what we experience. You see, I found it interesting that what makes you feel invalid can subtly become your identity. You see, this man was called an invalid. And you and I, we may not relate to him on a physical level. You may be healthy. You may do CrossFit. You may feel good about yourself this morning, right? You see, we may not feel that struggle with him and relate to him physically. But how many of us in the room, if we were honest, we may not feel like an invalid. But somewhere in our lives, we feel invalid. Feel insecure. We feel not good enough. Or we feel not capable or not successful enough. You want to be a better husband. You want to be a better father. You want to be a better mom. You want to be a better leader, more successful, more money, a bigger house, and all those statuses. And so often the experience of our life leaves us feeling more and more invalid and incapable of moving forward. And the slippery slope of that idea is that the longer we feel like that, the more it starts to become not just your experience, it becomes your identity. And so we have this man. We never know his name, but his experience is that he is an invalid, and for 38 years, he can't move. Many believe it's his legs, he can't walk, and so he's been placed for some amount of years at Bethesda, the place of grace. But you know what Bethesda was commonly known as? Uh, Amongst the people, not the place of grace, it was known as the place of disgrace because of the group of people that have congregated there because they seem stuck and they seem invalid and they seem like this is just going to be their life. Their lot in life is to live here and to be here in hopes that something miraculous will happen, but the likelihood is they will always be stuck where they are. So that's our guy this morning. And then it just changes the tune in the story. As it often does in the Gospels, Jesus comes onto the scene and he does it in such an interesting way. I love how Jesus works. In verse 6 it says, when Jesus saw him lying there, he comes into Bethesda, one of the porches. He learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. And he asked him this question, do you want to get well? Like Jesus, come on. That's like not politically correct. You know, like, yeah, 38 years he's been lying on a mat on a porch, staring at a pool amongst a lot of other people who are broken and sad and struggling. And Jesus, the first introduction, his first words to him is to say, hey, buddy, would you like to be better? (laughs) Doesn't make sense, right? It's like asking a Lightning fan, did you want to win game seven? You know, I'm sorry to bring that up, but it's like obvious. We'll pray for that later. Obvious. We wanted to, to win, right? Of course. It's, it's such an obvious question. Or is it? Because the Greek word uh, for well, do you want to get well, it's this term in the Greek called hugies. Hugies. It actually means, do you want to be whole? 
See, it's deeper than just, do you, do you want to be happier? Do you, do you want to make more money? Do you, do you want to be a nicer person? Like it's, it's deeper than that. Jesus comes on, he looks at him, 38 years you've been like this. You are stuck in this place. There's not a lot of hope for you. You're discouraged. You probably think this guy thinks it's just his lot in life. It's who he is and it's where he's going to be. And he says, he looks at him, he says, do you want to be whole? Alluding to the idea that Jesus realizes that this man has some brokenness about him. He's broken. And you think he'd ask him, of course, it's obvious question is an obvious answer. Yes. Yes, I'd love to be well. I'd love to be put back together. Many of us in this room, we'd love to have the hard parts of our life put back together so we can be unstuck from those situations. But he doesn't give an obvious answer. In fact, I think he gives the answer that you and I would probably give Jesus. He gets a little bit defensive and he starts to explain in detail why he is the way he is. And here's what he says in verse 7. He said, sir, which I love, they're very respectful to Jesus in the Bible. He says, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. Well, I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down Ahead of me. So you just, you just stop and you just think, this man, 38 years, he's, already, he's come up with all of these reasons and these excuses of why he is stuck in this place in his life. It is what it is. This is who I am. All these things. And I want to unpack for you in the notes, if you want to take notes, there's four excuses that the invalid comes up with as to why he is staying stuck in this place. And if you and I were honest, we can relate to one, if not all of them, as to why we can explain why you and I are stuck in the places in our life that we want to move on from today. And so here's what he does. The first excuse is this, is that we tend to rely on other people. He says, I have no one to help me. I have no one to help me, as if to point the finger that if someone would just help me get out of this place, if someone else could fix my problems, if my spouse would just be a little bit better for me, if I could finally just get married, or if I could finally have children, then I'll be happier, I'll be better, I'll be more whole, as if they are going to put you back together in the way only God could. You see, we oftentimes, we place such high expectations on people when God is the only one that can truly fulfill those voids. Spouse, parents, children, bosses, teachers, coaches. And we put our wholeness and we put our happiness in the hands of other people. And when they don't come through and when they forget about me, then it's their fault. And they are the reason I am the way I am and the way I think about myself and the experience of my life. Because my parents didn't do this for me and I didn't have it like you had it. And this is why I feel this way and this is why I'm struggling with these things year after year after year. As if they're the answers to our problems. So he's pointing the finger someone would just get me. And then he just talks about this other thing. He said, we rely on something tangible. And he talks about the pool. And so the thing with the pool is they believed in Bethesda at this, at this pool that whether we, we believe it or not, that one time a year an angel of the Lord would come down from heaven and would stir the waters. And the first invalid to jump into the pool would be healed miraculously and would be able to go on from their lives completely healed. Now whether that's true or not, that's what they believed. And can you just imagine for 38 years this man sitting on a mat looking at this pool, just, just fixated on this tangible 
measurable pool, hoping that he would just be able to get, he can't even move, he can't walk, and he's just staring at this pool that's away from him that he can't get to, hoping that if he just gets in there before everyone else, you had to be the first to get into the pool. If I just win, if I get there, the pool, the pool, the pool. And for us, we are so often the same way. If I just get married, if I just have children, if I can just get promoted, if I can get that house, if I can get to that destination, if I can live in that place, and you can go down the line, if my bank account looks like this, these tangible, measurable results, that will make me whole. Because I can feel it, and I can touch it, and I know I earned it, and I did it, and I got it. And it's as if that's going to make us whole again. He's just staring, he's fixated on the pool. Another excuse, it's we rely on on ourselves, he says, in those two sentences, he says, I'm trying, Jesus. Jesus, I go to church. I tithe. I'm in a connect group, like 12 of them. Those leaders aren't helping me. They're not praying enough. They need to train them more, right? I've been doing this. I've been reading the books. I've been coming up with solutions. I've tried to get over those addictions and those the, the challenges from my past, I'm trying to be better, I'm trying to be nicer, I'm trying to be more supportive. And we always put the expectations on ourselves as if we can come up with the answers all on our own. We put the weight of the world to be whole and to be put together and for our brokenness to be fixed. As if you can figure it out on your own. I'm trying, Jesus. I've been trying for 38 years and I just can't get to the pool and I'm defeated and I'm discouraged and I'm not good enough and I'm never going to get there and this is who I am. It just is what it is. This is my life. This is what I'm going to be and I'm just going to deal with it. I've accepted that I'm stuck because I'm done trying. The fourth one is very common is that we rely on fairness. He said, someone else is always getting ahead of me. How often do we fixate on the people that are always ahead of us? We want to look like them. We want to be as successful as them. We want our Instagram to be as pretty as them, right? We want our business to be as successful as them. We want to be as good of a leader as they are and as nice of a family as they look on Facebook when they put their pretty pictures and all of that. Jealousy and envy and comparison just leaves you more stuck. It causes you to stop moving because you compare yourself to what you think you can't obtain. And he's saying, someone always gets in the pool ahead of me. Year after year, I can't do it. I'm not good enough. I'll never get there. I'll never be that. I'll never overcome this. This is always where I'm going to be. And he just, on two sentences, he unpacks 38 years of struggle. You see that? It's hard because he can't figure out the way to become unstuck. And so then it just builds up to what is Jesus going to say to him? He asks him a question. Do you want to be made whole? And he comes up. He doesn't even answer him. He comes up with the reasons. I'm trying. I wish I could get there. there. No one's helping me. I feel forgotten. I'm not good enough. I can't do it. I can't get there. All these reasons. And then Jesus comes. And I want you to catch this. Because I just have to have you picture 38 years of brokenness. And one moment with Jesus changes his life. Look what happens. In verse 8, then Jesus said to him, he looks at him, he says, Get up, 
You see the exclamation point, it's a command. So he asks the question, now he gives him a command. He looks straight into his eyes after 38 years. He's not patting him on the head. He's not giving him a little hug. He's not being sweet to him. He says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. He just speaks it into him. And look at what happens at once. Your Bible may say immediately, I would just beg you to circle that because that's the power of God on full display. 38 years of trying, 38 years of hoping, 38 years of being discouraged and beaten down and figuring out, I can't do this on my own, no one else can do it for me. 38 years of brokenness. Jesus comes and he gives them eight words. And he is completely cured. That is powerful. Can you put yourself in his shoes? Do you notice that we're never introduced to the man's name? You know who the only name that we see in this story is Jesus? Because he's the only name that is meant to be lifted up. Because it's not about what the man can do. It's not about what he can figure it out. It's not, it's not about what he can come up with. It's not about how he can fix his issues. It was always meant to be Jesus who comes in, looks him in the eyes and says, get up. You, this is not your life. You don't have to live insecure. You don't have to live broken. You don't have to think you're always going to be single or you're just that guy that gets divorced or you're just the failure. You're never going to be this or never going to be that. No, no, no. With Jesus, everything changes in a moment. He looks at him, he says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Do you notice? The guy doesn't say a word. He gets up, he responds, and he runs out of that place, and he leaves that place of disgrace, and he's covered in grace because Jesus came to him in a moment, and he spoke into him. He says, this is not you. You don't have to live like this any longer. But do you notice? He had to receive that word. He had to respond. He says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And the man had to respond to it. He had to get up, pick up what he was laying on, whatever insecurity and whatever makes you feel stuck and holds you back. What's holding you back? It's the mat you're lying on. And Jesus wants to speak into you today. And he wants to say, leave this room today. Pick up that mat and walk out of here covered in grace. So you don't have to live in disgrace when Jesus is covering you. And so, you know, some of us, we've been baptized, we've given our life to Christ, you've been coming to church for years and dialing in to God and you're trying to move forward, but there's many of us that have received Jesus' grace, but you are still lying on the mat. You are still covered in unforgiveness. You're still covered in insecurities anxieties and it's as if Jesus says listen listen you're focused on all these people and you're focused on all these tangible results and you think things aren't fair and why did God allow this and why did this happen and why is my life like this it's as if Jesus walks up to this man and he says hey stop focusing on all of that lift your eyes up and just see Jesus and the power of God through him that he offers you because even when you're Covered in grace, you can feel like a disgrace. And many of you, you've received Christ and you've accepted him as your Lord and your Savior. He took care of your sins on that cross. And you've accepted the salvation of your soul. But you are stuck feeling invalid. 
I don't want you to leave here like that today. And what I want us to do is I'm going to ask you to stand up and we're going to respond to that Jesus who in a moment can change everything in our lives. And for many of us, we've experienced that. And I want to encourage us to worship him and his reckless love that many of us have already experienced. I want us to fix our eyes, our hearts, and our hopes all on him. Because that's what Jesus has offered us. And I want you to leave today picking up your mat and walking, not in disgrace, but in grace. And after we sing, I'm going to touch on something else for some of us in the room. So don't leave after the song. But let's worship. Can we worship him today? In his reckless love, let's worship. no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. Come on. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Chases me down, fights till I'm found, and leaves the 99. And I couldn't earn it, and I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never ending, reckless love of God. Pick up our mats and walk today. That reckless love is life-changing. You're not meant to be stuck. You're not meant to be stagnant. You're not even meant to be comfortable. God wants to move us forward. He wants you to overcome by the power of Jesus. And so I'm reading this story. And that's for many of us in the room. But some of us in the room, we've never, we've never experienced that love. We've never received the love of Jesus that he offers that brings us to breakthrough. He takes you from brokenness to breakthrough in your life. That's the goal of God for you to overcome. And I'm reading this story. And so the man, he leaves Bethesda. And we find him later. He didn't even know that it was Jesus. He didn't even know that it was Jesus who had healed him. And we find him later in verse 14. He's in the temple. And I want to read this verse for us. It says, Later Jesus found the man at the temple and he said to him, See, you are whole again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And I read this in preparation for today. 
that word again just screamed off the page. This man was not always like this. 38 years of brokenness, but that's not how God created him. He was created to be whole, but something in this life, something in this world came in, something he didn't want, something he didn't ask for, something he didn't even deserve. You see, it's easy to question God and blame God, but the only one who can make you whole again is the one who created you to be whole. And that's what God wants for every single person in here. He wants to make you whole again. Something has come into your life that you didn't want. Relationally, vocationally, money, family, parents, kids. And it's left you broken. And maybe you feel invalid. But I'm here to tell you today that Jesus, in a moment, will change your life. So I want to give you that opportunity. And maybe for you, it's like a rededication that, Jesus, I want to receive that power. I am tired of living this way. Year after year, I can't move forward. I can't overcome. It's bitterness. It's jealousy. It's unforgiveness. It's brokenness. Whatever it is, maybe today you take this moment to receive his power and leave today not in disgrace but covered in his grace. And maybe for you, it's the first time. Maybe maybe you just can't fathom that God loves you so much. Verse 7 says, Jesus came and he saw him and he learned about him. God sees you and he knows about you. He knows what you struggle with. The question isn't that. The question is, will you receive his word and leave today picking up that mat and accepting that love and that power? That's what he wants for you today. So even for the first time, maybe you can receive the love of Christ, the power of God in your life right here in this moment. And can I just say, Don't let the moment pass you by. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. You see, there's a lot of brokenness. That's what the world does. It beats us down and it makes us question ourselves. It makes us question our Savior. It makes us question our God. We question everything. We question the people in our life. We wish people would help. We wish we could find the answer. But what if it was so simple that you are and always will be the answer to making us whole again? And so, Father, if there's people in the room today that have never received the salvation of Jesus Christ, I pray that they would pray this prayer with me. God, we receive your love. We know that you have not made us broken. The world has. But we believe and trust that when you died on the cross for all of our sins, and when we accept that into our lives, we are being made whole again by the power of Jesus Christ that only you can provide. So we receive that. We accept you as our Lord and Savior. We accept that you are the answer to my brokenness. Without you, I can do nothing. But with you, all things are possible. God, we accept the salvation and the love and the grace that only you provide. And for those of us in the room that just need to get up off the mat, pray this with me. God, I don't want to live in this brokenness. You have already made me whole through the cross. I want to leave this place. I want to pick up my mat. I want to go ahead. I want to live the life you've called me to live. God, we receive that power. We lift our eyes to you. Thank you for your reckless love. It changes everything. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll have prayer partners forward.
I pray that you leave today covered in his grace. Have a wonderful week.